My prayer is that this message you're about to hear will help you to understand and experience God's love and power, regardless of what you may be going through today. God bless you. We're going to continue um, this series, How to Be a Fruitful Tree, sermon series in the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 3. I wasn't able to finish all of chapter 3. Last time, I only covered verses 1 to 14, and now we're going to finish the other half. Uh, Interesting book, Galatians. Um, Saul was, um, Paul, I'm sorry, Paul was so um, disheartened by the fact that many in the Galatian church They were no longer trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. They started adding other things, the law and things of that sort. And um, then Paul had to uh, correct the apostle Peter publicly because Peter was causing confusion in the church. Boy, does that have to happen more often nowadays. And you all need to know this, uh, the brother that was here last week, I have invited him, and we do this for each other. I said, look, if I'm ever off track with how I'm teaching God's word and how I'm loving my wife and how I'm loving my children, I invite you to correct me. And he allows me to do the same to him. These are the type of friends that we need if we're getting off track from the truth A real friend will correct us. And so we've been talking about that uh, in the book of Galatians, chapter 1 and chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, and now we're going to go into the second half of chapter 3 today. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, I I can't do it on my own. Please help me. I pray, Lord, that you will fill me with your spirit and speak to your people today in the way that you need to speak to them. Please be the teacher in this room by your precious Holy Spirit teach us and we want to open our ears up and not just to be hearers of your word but to be doers of your word we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in the mighty name of Jesus we do pray amen so we're going to continue this series here and so Today, as we look at Galatians, the second half of chapter 3, truth about the problem and the, the promise. Truth about the problem and the, and the promise. Uh, this problem started back in the garden. I've been doing this since I've been preaching to, to several of you for the last couple of years. Um, I've been doing this. Referring back to the headwaters of Scripture, go back to the beginning. What is God trying to teach us about Himself, about ourselves, about the devil? If we go back to Genesis, we know that a fruit was picked from the tree, even though God warned them not to. They did not trust God's word, they trusted their own feelings. They trusted what the devil had to say instead of trusting God's word. Now, consider this past week. Was there something that 
God told you was true and you decided to listen to the devil instead or you decided to trust your feelings instead? Well, it goes right back to the garden. That's what happened in the garden. I don't think it was an apple. Most likely it was a mango that they ate because I think mangoes are sweeter um, for some reason. So it's probably not a an apple, but you know, a lot of people want to put a fruit up there, and they figure maybe it's an apple. I really don't know what fruit it was, but God told them, don't, <laughs> God told them, don't do it. This is what will happen. God spoke the word, what God says is true, or what, um, let God be true, and every man a liar. We need to listen to what God says. Listen to his promises. Listen to his warnings. And that's exactly what they didn't do. Now, in the same chapter, interestingly enough, if you look in, in, um, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he gives a promise in Genesis 3, 15. There was a promise that was given. Yeah, there's the problem of sin, but God in his grace gives a promise to us. And this is what he says. I, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Right? This is, this is what he's saying to the serpent. As a matter of fact, you know what you can do? Look at verse 14 with me. The Lord cursed, he said, he said, curse are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. You will go and dust you will eat and the days, uh, all the days of your life. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Actually, his head will be crushed. But... It says here something's going to happen in the future, okay? Something's going to happen. Someone's going to come and conquer you. If your head is crushed, if your head is bruised, that you are being conquered. So there's a promise that's given there ahead of time, way back in the book of Genesis, a promise. There's a promise that is given. So we're going to talk about this. It's important that you take God's promises seriously. Very, very important. Keep God's, take God's promises seriously regarding your personal life, regarding your provision. If you don't take his promises seriously, you will start to fill your mind with lies. Fill your mind with the promises of God. His promises will give you peace because he makes certain promises like, I will never leave you. I won't forsake you. The Lord will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Those are promises. And the devil doesn't want us to listen to his word. In fact, he'll come and say, did God really say he'll supply all of your needs? Did God really say that if you eat from this tree? You see, all he wants to do is get you to doubt God's word. This is what happened to the Galatians. They started to doubt, well, maybe we do have to do a few extra things for salvation. 
and they started to believe this lie that you have to follow these rules for salvation where the scripture makes it clear it is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. But they started to doubt the promise. Jesus is the one who said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that a promise, you think? So if that's a promise, if God gives you a promise about your salvation, stand on that in Jesus' name. Not just your salvation, provision. Keep this in mind. The promise of salvation involves three things. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And the devil will try to mess your head up about those three things, for example. He'll say, did, did he really die for all of your sins? Has the penalty really been paid just by his blood? You could say yes, because the Bible says so. Is it, you're going through this sanctification process. Do you really have power over sin? Well, why do you keep falling into sin if you have power over sin? You know, it's really interesting. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he, he talks about doing everything to stand. What does that mean? Doing everything that God has told you to do to stand. So when we fall into sin, it's not because we don't have the power to stand. It's because we start depending on our flesh. We start doing the opposite of what God tells us to do to experience victory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright. So if you're doing what God wants you to do, you will start to experience consistent victory instead of consistently falling because God is able to keep you from falling. So we need to say, okay, what did I do? What should I do more? Jesus told Peter, well, pray that you don't fall into temptation, Peter. Peter, have you considered that you fell into temptation because you slept instead of prayed? Maybe that has something to do with it. We always got to ask ourselves, am I doing what he's telling me to do to utilize the power he has given me? Does that make sense? Make sense? Yes, we are justified. Yes, we are experiencing sanctification, power to overcome sin. And one day we will be glorified and no more presence of sin, no more sickness, no more temptation, no more devil. Somebody say hallelujah. No more of that. That's future. But for now, we have battles. But for every battle, there's victory in Jesus' name. Because you can do all things through Christ. He has given you everything you need to live a godly life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. These are promises in his word, and the devil wants to get you sidetracked, focusing on other things, even leaning on your own understanding. You might even say, well, it doesn't really make sense. All of this doesn't make sense. So you have to just say, Lord, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Focus on what he has to say. Fill your mind with the truth. Give no space for the devil's lies, which is exactly what Eve should have done. Okay, now... 
stimulating a spiritual appetite. Let's look at, let's look back here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Look at this with me. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to try to break this down to you. In other words, he's saying, if you were ants, if you were little insects, I'll try to talk like insects. If you're a big elephant, I'll try to give some elephant language. <laughs> he says, I'm trying to give you some terminology here to help you understand this. So uh, by God's grace, he gives us these illustrations or these allegories to help us. So he says, brethren, I speak to you in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. So if you have a human covenant, folks, nobody adds anything to it or takes from it. This, he's trying to help us understand what this is all about as far as God's promises and his covenant. Verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Singular, seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. Verse 17, what I am saying is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. In other words, God gave a promise Yes, the law came afterwards, but just because the law, the, uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments after, that doesn't mean that the promise is nullified. So what's the purpose of the law then? Why did he give these commandments? He's trying to help them understand something that in human relations, if you have these conditions of a covenant, just because something comes after the covenant doesn't mean we're going to just do away with the original covenant that was made. We're going to still take this covenant seriously. We're going to still take the promises of God seriously. So, physical appetites can decrease because of dementia, depression, hormonal changes, social atmosphere, medications, or poor dental health. Well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, spiritually speaking, some people just don't have a spiritual appetite for the promises of God. Some people just don't have an appetite for the truth of God. And God realizes that. So what he will do is give you certain things to cause you to crave after him. Because the natural man does not desire the things of the Spirit of God. So he says, how can I get this child? It's kind of like vegetables, I guess, for the baby. You know, you try to put a little honey in it to get them to, yeah, I want more. And then, you know, mommy and daddy look at each other like, he's eating it. Because he would not, she would not eat it. She has no appetite for it. Now, in, in certain cases, Physical appetites can actually decrease because of certain things that go on in our lives. Physically speaking, right? So what happens in the physical realm if you don't have an appetite for things? You have to take some supplements to stimulate an appetite. Like what? 
certain vitamins, minerals, and herbs. You may not have even known this, but some of you have who have studied these things. Zinc, thiamine, and fish oil, if those things are lacking in your body, it will affect your appetite. So if you take these supplements, it can actually help you to eat better. Certain things that you would not have eaten before or even had a desire to eat. These things actually help. I didn't know fish oil could actually help you to have a better appetite. It was just an interesting thing when I read it. Spiritually speaking, there are, other, there are some things that go on as well. A promise of a blessing was given to Jesus and to Abraham. One responded one way, the other responded another way. See, with Abraham, his faith went like this. Jesus always has an appetite for truth because he is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He's like, he believes everything his father says because him and his father are one. If his father says, this is what's going to happen, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, but I don't know. Uh, that doesn't make sense, Daddy. No, Jesus receives a promise from his father, and he says, this is as good as done. Abraham starts off with faith. Abraham starts off saying, yes, Lord, I believe you're going to give me a child one day. I believe, and I believe that my descendants will be as many as the stars. And God declared him righteous because of his faith. But then, we can relate to this. Because maybe you had faith yesterday for the house. Or maybe you had faith five years ago about that problem. But then you start to doubt. It's like, how can you, how can you go like this? John the Baptist, how is it that you could baptize the Son of God? Heaven opens up, you hear God's voice say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. A dove comes down and he's placed upon Jesus. You see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there, John. But then when you go to jail and you're going through a hard time, you tell your buddies, ask Jesus if he's really the one. How can our faith in God's promises be so up and down? Abraham, God told you the promise. So why would you go and take Hagar and have a baby with her? How does that happen to us so easily? We have so much faith one minute, and then we're doubting the God that has done miracles. Galatians, how can you put your faith in Christ, the one who died for your sins, rose again? You're building your house on the rock one minute, and now you're building on sand. And this is why Paul had to write this book to them. And then this past week, I'm reading about Abraham right here in this passage, and I'm thinking, why would you give Abraham as an example? And the Lord says, this is why. 
I gave him as, a, him as an example because the same way the Galatians started off on the right track with faith and they got sidetracked, Abraham started off with faith and he doubted me. And what we need to pray is say, Lord, help me to keep trusting in your promises even when it doesn't make sense. Lord, help me to keep trusting in your promises. Even if I'm in the prayer room, 24-7 prayer, I'm in there for a whole year and my mom still doesn't get saved. I'm in there for two years and my, and my brother still is not healed from cancer. Help me to still believe your promises. Watch this. Lord, help me to know the difference between your promise and your will and what my will is. Because sometimes we get mad at God because he didn't fulfill a promise that he never made in the first place. We've got to be careful not to get mad at God when he doesn't come through for us the way we want him to come through. We get confused about who he is, what he has promised, A promise of a blessing was given to Jesus and Abraham because it says to Abraham and the seed, singular, referring to Jesus. They were both given this promise of salvation that would come to the world. We won't have an appetite for God's promise, for God's promised blessings, unless we understand our sin. We won't even have an appetite. So the same way that fish oil, zinc, and thiamine can actually help people with their appetite, when we really understand our sin and our need, when we get the real diagnosis of our problem, then we have a desire for the truth. We have a desire for the promised blessing. There's no desire for a cure if we don't know we have a problem. See? And so, watch this now. We won't have an appetite of God's promise, okay, unless we understand it. So Abraham believed the promise, but he doubted when he chose Hagar. Consequences, the commands from God's word, the law, and circumstances can point us to God. When we start to realize, I am a sinner. When we're looking at the law and we're saying, wow, Look at all of these things. I'm in need of a Savior. God uses the law to show us. as He uses the straight, it's like a plumb line of truth, and he shows us that we are off track, and it makes us want to cry out to God, Lord, save me. I can't follow your law perfectly. The law actually helps you to turn to God. The law from God's word actually makes you want to get, wow, I, I really need a savior. I really do. The commands, the circumstances in our lives points us also to the Lord. He'll use all of these things to get us to crave, to get us to have an appetite for him when we realize I can't save myself and I can't trust in people, but I can trust in Jesus. Amen? He will use circumstances to get you to have an appetite for him. Don't go there anymore. Come to me. Cursed is the man who trusts in flesh. Come to me instead. And 
He will use circumstances. Look at this. Look at Numbers 23, verse 19. Very, very interesting verse. Numbers 23, verse 19. And it reads, wow, what a verse. Great verse to memorize, by the way, regarding God keeping his promises, but man not being able to keep his. Some of you have already experienced some bad things with people that you trusted, but God wants you to know this. God says to you, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? In other words, God is reliable. He's someone you can trust, and he's not like man who will let you down. He's not like a boss that will promise you one thing and not do what he said he was going to do. He's not a politician that will promise one thing. Some of you need to hear this. Yeah, yeah. A lot of politicians, whether you're in India, Mexico, or the United States, they make all these promises. God is saying, I'm not like man. Whatever I say I'm going to do, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Remember that. Remember that. What does that have to do with being a fruitful tree? Well, if, if I don't have an appetite for God's truth and I start depending on people or myself, I'll end up not having the love, joy, and peace in my life that I'm looking for. And God wants you to have an appetite for him. If not, you're going to walk around. That's supposed to be me, by the way. He has no hair. You notice that? It kind of looks like me a little bit. It's supposed to be me. So you walk around like this, spiritually weak, because you don't have an appetite yet for the things of God. You're eating other things. You're eating the lies of the devil. You're eating the lies, your own lies, the lies of people, and you're spiritually weak. God is trying to get you to have an appetite for him. Trust in him more. He's not like man. He will not lie to you. He wants you to depend on him. That's what he'll, that's what he'll do. That's what he'll do. So, a sure promise and a school tutor. That little girl is very frustrated because... This lady is, being, is tutoring her, and she just can't take it anymore. She's like, I can't take it. Most likely, I guarantee you, it's math. And look at that. It is math. You see? That was me when I was her age. And it's like torture. It's like, oh, get me out of this room. I can't take it anymore. The law of God is like a a schoolmaster, like a tutor. Let me tell you some history about this. I put it here. Lord, help me to find it. Somewhere here. It is somewhere here. I hope I can find it for you. And then I will read it. Found it. Here it is. The tutor. The Greek, in Greek society, a guardian 
was a slave who was put in charge of his master's son during the years of the child's adolescence, during the teenage years, okay? This was a slave that was chosen. This is why Paul is using this illustration. He's trying to help the people understand what the law of God is like to help you to crave the grace of God, okay? He says the law was like a tutor, a slave that was actually put in place in charge of the master's son during the years of the child's, uh, the teenage years. Okay. Throughout antiquity, such guardians were known for their sour disposition and severity. In other words, they were pretty mean, not very nice. That lady there, look at her face. She's like, you're going to do this work. Whether you feel like it or not, baby. Matter of fact, I don't want to be here either. So you might as well get your hands off of your head and do your work. That's probably what she's saying. That's probably what she's saying. Yeah, so don't, don't even act like, we, you know, something's going to happen here. Well, I'm going to say, ah, oh, you don't have to do it. No, 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 you're going to do it. This, is a, this, this person is really a pain in the rear end. That's really what this person is. And the kid is sitting there like, ah, oh, I don't like math, and I don't like you. Really? The child longed for the day when he would come of age and be released from the custody of his guardian, of this tutor. She says, I can't wait for the day when I'm away, when I'm away from you. Okay, the ceremonial law with all of its regulations served the function of being a spiritual guardian, a schoolmaster, a tutor in order to guard the people of Christ so that they would not drift into paganism. At the same time, they create in their hearts the desire for the salvation Christ would bring. This is what the law would do. It's like, oh, this law, I can't do it. I can't do this properly. I just can't. That's one of the reasons why God gave the law, for people to crave salvation. For people to say, I need some grace. <laughs> I can't do this. Consider God's will when man makes a promise, okay? In other words, when man makes you a promise, you need to consider, okay, but what is God's will? Because when, when a man might give his promise to me, but it might not be in accordance to God's will, so I might not get what my mom promises me. According to God's will, I will get it, but I can't depend on people. If God promises you something, it's his, it's his will, so believe you already have it, according to Scripture. Just believe you already have it. Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says, when you pray for something, believe you already have it, and it's yours. God's promises are that way. Believe you already have what God tells you is yours. And when you have this tutor, you, you, wanna, you just want to have words of grace, like a promise that you will pass the test, a promise that you will, you can move forward instead of depending on your own efforts. You crave the promise of God. You just crave it. The law is like a frustrating tutor showing your incapability of keeping God's commands perfectly. Matthew 5, 28, you know what Jesus said? Jesus is trying to help the people understand. 
you all have heard the verse, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I'm going to show some of you how really incapable some of you are of keeping this commandment. Even if you lust after a woman, you have committed adultery. <laughs> so even if you lust after a man, even if you lust immoral thoughts, sexual thoughts, thoughts, just thoughts, God says, I see your thoughts. It makes you crave salvation even more. It's like, wow, I'm more messed up than I thought I was. See what I mean? God uses the law to show you you can't save yourself. You need a savior. It's that frustrating schoolmaster that makes you crave salvation. And so that's what he does in Matthew 5, 28. This is what Jesus, Jesus is trying to get folks to have an appetite for a savior. And pointing you to the savior instead of yourself. Faith in Christ, the promised blessing. It's the key to salvation. It talks about sonship in this. Look at this, verse 22 to 26. Look at this. Of, uh, back to Galatians as we're about to close and go to the last slide. Look at this. Back to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 22. But the scripture has shut up everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. Don't believe in yourself anymore. Don't believe in how well you can keep the commands. Believe in Jesus. Put your faith in him. This thing about faith keeps coming up. Look at verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Verse 24, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith, trusting in Christ. Amen? Not ourselves. The Lord wants us to trust only in him. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, no longer under that schoolmaster, for we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful thing. Sons of God. Not all, not everybody, not everybody in Gethsemane, not everybody here, not everybody in this city, not everybody is necessarily a child of God. We're all creations of God. How do you know if you're really a child of God? How do you know if you're a son, a daughter, if you've put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Then you might say, well, so there's no good works necessary at all? No, the Bible says, not by works, lest, that, lest any man should boast, but the scripture, Paul also wrote this. He says, we are saved unto good works. So what does that mean? Okay. We put our faith in Christ alone for salvation. He saves us. We are born again. We have his Holy Spirit. And now, since we have this free gift of salvation, we obey him to show our love and appreciation for him. We don't obey the law to be saved. We obey the law because we have been saved. So we have, we're showing our love for the one who saved us. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. 
So that's, that's what it means. So good works comes in after you receive this gift of salvation through faith in Christ alone. He's the one that died for you, for me. So that's important to keep in mind. Now, as we close, let's look at these last verses. Verse 27 to 29. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, spiritually speaking, heirs according to promise. So what does all that mean? Look up there. See Adam and Eve? They covered themselves with leaves. Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves, but without the shedding of blood and God's work for them, they were not clothed properly. So that's key to keep in mind. If you're depending on yourself for salvation, instead of putting your, putting your trust in Jesus, you will be clothed with your own righteousness, and the Bible says it's like filthy rags. But if you put your faith in Christ, the one who shed his blood, remember now, God came on the scene for them, and he killed the animal, took the skin off, and clothed them. In a similar way, Jesus laid down his life for us, and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not with our own leaves, trying to cover our shame, our own efforts to cover ourselves. There's, there's a lot of ways we try to cover it. We try to cover it with baptism. We try to cover our own shame by having communion. That's coming up here. Our salvation does not come from our efforts, moral or religious activities. That's why Jesus had to tell Nicodemus, a very religious man, you must be born again, Nicodemus. You must believe in the Son of God. Don't believe in your own righteousness, Nicodemus. And so, like I said, baptism can't save you. Communion can't save you. Going to GT can't save you. Going to whatever church in this city. Traveling to Israel and putting a prayer request in the wall won't save you. Somebody say amen. Christ alone saves. We have to be careful that our religious activity, we can start to depend on the wrong thing. If, if you forget everything else I said in this message, this message has to do, is, to do with who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in the promises of Jesus or in the promises of man? Are you trusting in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? Are you trusting in your own way, your own truth? Hoping to have life everlasting. Be careful that we don't trust in the wrong things. And then the passage closes. It says the promised blessing of Christ is for male and female, people of all races. You can see that in the book of Acts of who comes to know the Lord. And the fruit of love should be shown for all people. That's why I love this church, because people are from 
different parts of the world, all nations. Isaiah chapter 55 talks about nations coming together for worship. And God loves all people. This is the fruit. You want to have a fruitful tree? Abide in Christ. Depend on him for salvation. We are the branches. He is the vine. If you start to abide in other things, you will not be fruitful. You will not have joy, peace, and love because you'll start trusting in other things. The truth about our problem and the promise of our Savior to come. Very important message for us not only to, to read about, say, how does this apply to me? Have I started putting the promises of God aside and I start trusting, uh, have I started trusting in other things for love, for joy, for peace? Let God be true and every man a liar. Let's bow our heads at this time. I hope that message was a blessing to you. Feel free to pass it on to someone who needs to hear it. And if you want to know more about having a relationship with Christ, check out our website at www.graceintruthgdl.org. And remember, so many are looking for real love and power in this life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God bless you.